0: Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, aka Triumvir Clio. Hello again, welcome back. Happy November, or whatever it is whenever you're listening to this episode. Remember how I said I thought the last Bibliotheca episode was going to be long? Yeah, this is the chapter I was thinking of. But even if it weren't, I think I'll be keeping these episodes on Mondays for a while to give myself a Bit more time to write about the Aeneid and Seneca's tragedies and all of the other epics that come after we finish the Aeneid. We are up to Book 2, Chapter 2 of the Bibliotheca. Um, is that right? No, Chapter 4. I just wrote 2 twice. Book 2, Chapter 4 of the Bibliotheca. Again, I'm working from the Fraser Translation, which is freely available in multiple places online. We left off with Bellerophon. That doesn't mean anything for where we pick up. It's just what was in the last chapter. Uh, So this chapter. Acrisius asks the oracle how he's going to get a male heir. The oracle tells him that his daughter's son will kill him. (laughs) Gotta love that oracle. So Acrisius locks his daughter Denea in an underground chamber. But that is no match for a god. Which god? Well, it depends on who you ask. Some say it's Proteus. Others say it's Zeus in the form of a golden shower who fathers Danaeus' son, Perseus. Acrisius refuses to believe that Zeus is the father, so he locks Danaeus and Perseus in a chest and tosses it into the sea. Don't worry, they'll be okay. They wash up on the shore of Seraphis, where Dictus takes in Perseus to raise us his own. Now, Dictus' brother is Polydectes, and it's Polydectes who is king of Seraphis. He decides he wants to marry Danaeus. But Perseus, who is now full grown, is very protective of his mother. So Polydectes comes up with a plan to get Perseus out of the way. He sends him to fetch the Gorgon's head. Perseus's half-siblings, Hermes and Athena, give him some help and direct him to the daughters of Phorcus. They are Enyo, Pephred, and Dino, and they just so happen to be the Gorgon's sisters. They were old from the day they were born, and you're probably familiar with them from Disney's Hercules, except in that not-quite-accurate representation, they were called the Fates. Between the three of them, they have one eye and one tooth, but it's okay because they share. Perseus manages to get hold of their eye and tooth and says he'll give them back if the old women help him out. They give him directions to the nymphs that are guarding some winged sandals, a sack, and Hades' helmet of invisibility. Hermes gives and Hermes gives him an adamantine sickle. Thus garbed and armed, Perseus flies to where the Gorgons are sleeping. They are Stheno, Uriali, and Medusa. Of the three, only Medusa is mortal. Why? Who knows? But because she's mortal, Perseus can kill her and take her head. But I think you already know about Gorgon heads. They're covered in dragon scales and have tusks and golden wings. Yeah, not snakes. This is a slightly different description. Still pretty impressive. And then there's also that whole little turning mortals into stone thing. You've heard that part, I'm sure. Fortunately for Perseus, the Gorgons happen to be asleep, and big sister Athena is there to help. While Perseus uses his shield as a mirror, Athena guides his hand. He cuts off Medusa's head. Out of that act of violence are born Pegasus and Chrysaor, who also happen to be the children of Poseidon, which could get us into a whole lot of other mythology about Medusa, but none of that happens in this chapter. Perseus puts Medusa's head in the sack and leaves. The other Gorgons do wake up and chase their sister's murderer, but they can't see him because he's wearing Hades' helmet of invisibility. Perseus runs to Ethiopia, where Cepheus happens to be king. Now, there's this sea monster that's been terrorizing the kingdom, and here's why. Cassiopeia, Cepheus' wife, said that she was prettier than the Nereids, which pissed off the Nereids, so with some help from Poseidon, they flooded the land and set the sea monster on them. But Amon told Cepheus that the sea monster could be appeased if Andromeda, Cassiopeia's daughter, were given as prey. So, when Perseus gets to Ethiopia, Andromeda is chained to a rock waiting to be eaten by the sea monster. But it's okay. She doesn't get eaten by the Shrieking Eel. The Shrieking Eel doesn't get her. I'm telling you this because you looked a little worried. Wait, that's the wrong story. But it still fits. Andromeda doesn't get eaten by the sea monster because Perseus kills it and frees her. This pisses off Phineas, Cepheus's brother, who was engaged to Andromeda before the whole feeding her to a sea monster thing, which also, ew. Anyway, Phineas plots against Perseus, so Perseus shows him Medusa's head, and well, you know what happens if you look at Medusa's head. Then, Perseus goes home to Seraphis and shows Medusa's head to Polydectes. Then he names Dictus as the new king. He returns the sandals in the sack and gives Medusa's head to Athena, and Athena puts it in the center of her shield so that's why in depictions of Athena you will see Medusa's head on her shield. That's one version of the story at least. Some people say that Medusa was beheaded because she was too vain so Athena ordered it but our author today doesn't feel the need to go into any more detail on that. Perseus then runs with Danae and Andromeda back to Argos to get his revenge on Acresius. Oh, did I forget to mention that Andromeda came with him after a rescue? (laughs) Yeah, so does the author. Anyway, Acrisius is no fool, and he hightails it out of there and takes refuge with Tutamides. But then, Tutamides holds some games, and Perseus competes in the pentathlon, during which his quoit lands on Acrisius' foot, killing him instantly, which, let's face it, that's kind of impressive. That doesn't seem like it should be a mortal wound, at least not instantly mortal. Anyway, this means that the oracle has been fulfilled. Acrisius is buried outside the city, but Perseus is a little bit ashamed of having killed Acrisius this way, so he goes to Megapenthes and asks him to trade kingdoms. So, Megapenthes becomes king of Argos, and Perseus becomes king of Tyrans and Media and Mycenae. Perseus and Andromeda have some sons. Apparently, they were in Ethiopia for a while because their oldest, Perseus, was left behind with Grandpa Cepheus and all the kings of Persia are descended from him. But in Mycenae, they have Alcaeus, Thenelus, Helenus, Mester, and Electrion, and they have a daughter too, Gorgophone. Alcaeus has a son named Amphitrion and a daughter named Anaxo. Their mother is Ostidamia, daughter of Pelops. Unless she was Laonomi, or hyponymy, it all depends on who you ask. Mester's daughter is Hippothoe, and her mother is Lycidike, daughter of Pelops. Poseidon abducts her and their son, Tepheus, leads to a whole new clan. Now, Taphius's son is Terralos, and Poseidon makes Terralos immortal by giving him a golden hair. A golden hair. Not a whole head, just one. And then Terralos has some sons, too. Electrion marries Anaxo and their daughter is Elkmene. They also have a bunch of sons. Sthenalus has two daughters, Alcyone and Medusa. Yeah, that's right, Medusa. They're different Medusa, obviously. Their mother is Nicobe, another of Pelops' daughters. And they also have a son named Eurystheus, who later becomes king of Mycenae. And this is important because there was a prophecy that Zeus declared that a descendant of Perseus would rule over Mycenae. And there were two possible descendants about to be born at the same time. Eurystheus is one of them. The other? Heracles. And Hera doesn't want Heracles to be that ruler, so she prevents Alcmena from delivering Heracles until Eurystheus has been born prematurely. But that's getting ahead of ourselves. Electrion becomes king of Mycenae, and some of his nephews come to fight over the throne. Electrion ignores them, but his sons don't, and the cousins all kill each other. Except for uh, Lecimnius, who's too young to join the fight. Electrion decides to avenge his son's death, so he entrusts his kingdom to Amphitryon and makes him promise not to let anyone near Alcmena until he gets back. But then this cow charges, so Amphitryon throws his club at the cow, but on the rebound, the club hits Electrion in the head, killing him. And that's how Amphitryon becomes king of Mycenae. Amphitryon goes to Thebes to go through all the proper rituals to be purified of this manslaughter, and Alcmenia agrees to marry Amphitryon once he's taken care of that revenge plot that her father had been about to start when he died. He asks Creon for help, and Creon agrees, but only if Amphitryon kills the vixen that's been terrorizing the land first. He fails. So the people of Thebes continue to expose one son every month to appease the vixen, which seems like a lot of food for a fox. This must be some fox. And there is a saying about this fox that she cannot be killed. So there's that. Amphitryon decides that the only way to get rid of a fox that can't be killed is with a dog, but it has to be a special dog, one that always gets his man, just like Dudley Do-Right. Amphitryon enlists Cephalus to fetch just such a dog, who was once a gift from Minos, from Crete, But it's your classic unmovable object meets an unstoppable force issue. We have a fox that can't be caught, and a dog that always gets his man. So Zeus just turns them both to stone. And Amphitryon gets to go off and get revenge. But you see, there's that little problem of that one immortal man I I mentioned. Now, it's okay. Stop me if you've heard this story before. Cometho, one of Terralaus' daughters, falls in love with Amphitryon, so she goes to her father and pulls out that golden hair, and Teralaus dies, because he doesn't have his immortal hair anymore. Now, you would think Amphitryon would just say thanks, but instead he kills Cometho and then sails back to Thebes. Now, before Amphitryon gets home, Zeus disguises himself as Amphitryon and seduces Alcmene. So, when Amphitryon finally does get home, he's really confused by the fact that Alcmene isn't terribly excited to see him. Tiresias explains the whole Zeus thing, and then Alcmene has twins Heracles, the son of Zeus, and Iphicles, the son of Amphitryon. When Heracles is eight months old, Hera decides to get rid of him. She sends two serpents. Alcmene calls for help, but she shouldn't bother. Heracles strangles them. Well, maybe it was Hera. Pherecydes says that it's really Amphitryon who puts the serpents in the in the twins' bed because he wants to know which is his and which is Zeus's. And it's obvious after Heracles kills the serpents that Iphicles is Amphitryon's son. Anyway, Heracles grows up. He has. The best teachers. Well, except for his liar teacher, Linus. I mean, he's probably only the second best because his brother is Orpheus. Anyway, he practices corporal punishment, so Heracles kills him. But he argues self defense and is acquitted. However, Amphitryon decides that it might be a good idea to send Heracles to the country. Nonetheless, Heracles grows up big and strong, and it's quite obvious that his father is Zeus. When he's 18, he kills the lion of Catheron because it had been attacking the herds. Here's how that happens. Heracles tells Thespius, king of Thespiae, that he wants to kill the lion. And Thespius says that he's happy to offer Heracles room and board while he goes hunting. And each night, for 50 nights, Thespius says, sends one of his daughters to spend the night with Heracles because he's hoping to have a grandson that is of Zeus's bloodline. But these 50 daughters, despite having the same mother, which means they must have some sort of age gap between the youngest and the oldest, these 50 daughters look so much alike that Heracles thinks it's the same daughter each night. After those 50 nights, Heracles succeeds in killing the lion, after which he starts wearing a lion skin over his shoulders, and that is how you know him in artwork. On his way back from the hunt, Heracles runs into some heralds from Ergenos. He's demanding a tribute from Thebes because Clymenus was killed by a charioteer from Thebes. So Heracles cuts off the ears, noses, and hands of the heralds, which is not particularly helpful. Er Ergonus declares war in response. But Heracles gets some weapons from big sister Athena and fights them off, although, by chance, Amphitryon dies in the battle. And uh, and as thanks, Creon gives Heracles his oldest daughter to marry. To, and her name and may sound familiar to you. Megara. They have three sons, Therimachus, Creontiades, and Deocon. Iphicles gets a wife out of the battle, too, Creon's other daughter. Meanwhile, Radamanthus, son of Zeus, marries the now-widowed Alcmena, and they live in exile in Boeotia. Heracles then gets a sword from Hermes, and a bow from Apollo, and a golden breastplate from Hephaestus, and a robe from Athena. All the loot. After another battle, Hera drives Heracles mad, and he kills Megara, his children, and two of Ithacles' children as well, which we did not see that little piece when we covered it in, in Greek tragedy. After he regains his senses, he goes into exile. He's purified by Thespius, and then he goes to Delphi. And The priestess there is the first to call him by the name Heracles. He'd always been Alcides before that. Heracles, the glory of Hera. It's a new name for him. She tells him to go to Tiryns and serve Eurystheus for 12 years and to perform the 10 labors that Eurystheus will command of him. And once he's done all of that, he'll be immortal. But what happens next? Well, that's the next chapter, and I looked ahead, that one will be kind of long, too. Now, the big overall theme that I see in this chapter is that of consent, and it's happening across the board, Andromeda, Alchemina, even Heracles and those 50 daughters. Is it really consent if it turns out you were wrong about who you slept with? No, the answer is no. You don't have to think about it. I will tell you. The answer is no, it is not It is not consent. And there are so many children conceived really, in such a horrible way from from this from what we read in this chapter. Anyway, what stands out to you? Pop over to the blog and share. It's at triumvirclio.school.blog. The URL and maybe a link are in the show notes. You can also support me on Patreon if you feel so inclined. I'm there as triumvirclio, and that link is in the show notes too. In the next episode, we'll cover Seneca's Phaedra. Talk to you then.